Hello, and welcome to Digital Marketing Musings, hosted by Merkle. Each episode, we choose a different expert to share the latest and greatest in digital marketing trends. Today, we're interviewing Casey Gaudios and Matt Mirjeski about solving for user intent in search. All right, let's get to it. I'm Gaia Reed. And I'm Andrea McCartney. And this is Digital Marketing Musings. Welcome back to Digital Marketing Musings Season 2. Today, we're joined by Casey and Matt to talk about search intent. Matt Mirjeski is an SVP of Search Capability Lead here at Merkle, focused on driving best-in-class search and innovative solutions for advertisers. Casey Gaudios is a Merkle SEO content strategy lead focused on driving innovation and advancement in our search capability practice. Welcome to the show, you two. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, good to be here. We are super excited about this episode. Um, We've heard a lot about some of the the work you all are doing internally. So to give our our listeners and us some background heading into this conversation, could you tee us up with just the current state of SEO, SEM, and content strategy for these channels? Sure. Yeah. I mean, when you think about search, the easiest way to think about it is someone pulls out their phone, most likely. If you're listening to this podcast, you can't see me holding my phone right now. Uh, <laughs> and then they perform a query, right? This is, they have a, a, they have a purpose in mind. They have a question, they have a need. And a human types in a query and hits go. So I think a lot of people forget that who have been in the industry for a long time, that sort of that's what occurs in the consumer end. And What's important about that is we've always had the intent in search. That's no different. But I think more than ever, we're also getting the context of the user to complement that intent because we have more signals, more people are dialed into that from the marketing perspective. So as an example, let's take the same query. Someone searching for best running socks. Two people search that. Consumer A may have just already purchased running shoes. And the, the context of that user having performed that prior activity, now searching for best running socks versus consumer B not having purchased shoes, big difference in you know the propensity to purchase those running socks as opposed to maybe just someone who's in the learning phase about which are the best and why. So that's just one example. Same intent, same query, different context of the user. So today's modern search marketers, they're going to have to sort of understand how those two interplay together? And then how do you scale and then target those audiences and really focus on what matters? You know, there's not for lack of data in search. There's never been. It's too much. It's overwhelming. It's always growing. How do you really focus on what's important inside that context, what's trending, and then what users? And and then sort of make it individual, go from the masses and all the data to individuals and target audiences, and then meet them and their needs most specifically. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So as, as we're talking about this, the first thing that I'm, I'm wondering is we have this, this issue of user intent and, and how we use that information to inform content strategies. So, you know, Casey, Matt, can you kind of go into how Merkle is approaching this? Yeah. So I think one of the big things that... Given what Matt said, it's a mass amount 
of data out there. How can we process that amount of data? How can we clean that amount of data? How can we make that data make sense with one another? So that's one of that's been one of the biggest pushes for activating against user intent, especially across channel for the the total search experience, making it all make sense, drawing insights from it, and then identifying where we can activate on it. So one of the big things that we have been pulling together is learning how to take automation tools and machine learning and and make it really work with this specific data set and work for um, the search practice. So we have built a tool called Merkle Matrix. So basically what what Matrix does is it takes key elements of that, that data that we're privy to in the search world talking specifically about user search terms, how frequently they're searched, how often, what seasonality, and and really trying to extrapolate a deeper meaning there, really try to capitalize on all of that unfiltered context that we're given in these landscapes we're trying to operate in and trying to target to really understand what those key user needs are and how we can effectively target that, whether that's within the paid channel where we can really push to the user or whether that's in the organic channel where we can pull them in with a with a nice targeted search term or whatever we're doing there to really try and dig into what matters most to the user in the moment of search, right? Because we're trying to meet them where they are when they interact with their search bar and underlying all of those data pieces when it comes to user intent, keyword categorization and opportunity and what that all means together when it comes to really informing strong keyword strategies and strong keyword strategies or strong content strategies too. So without giving away the secret sauce, Casey, can you go into a little bit of how the Merkle Matrix tool works and how our our teams are using it and thinking about it? Yeah. So basically what the tool does is it takes large keyword data sets, runs it through a machine learning algorithm, and kind of spits back out some categorization and opportunity numbers for the available or the categories that we're looking at within that landscape so that we can get a a quick sense of the top driving user needs and user interests in the space. This has really, it's really enabled our teams to to go further, you know, further than those 2000 target terms that we want to look at. We're looking at entire landscapes, right? Like we've really taken the limits off of the amount of data we've been able to really to, to, to consume, to process, to inject into our strategies and things like that. So we're, we're talking about hundreds and thousands of terms, depending on your industry. So especially when it comes to, to e-retail, when we're thinking about how expansive that market can be, we've really been able to dig deep into those long tail terms that sometimes were out of reach just because they were so low volume. But now since we can look at the um, expanse of those terms, we can really get that deeper meaning of emerging trends, right? Of those ones that maybe haven't been searched for many months on end to get that high average, but those ones that maybe have lower volume because they're they're new to the market or so on and so forth. So we've really been able to kind of open the lid on the amount of data that we've been able to process and gain insight from. 
So is the data specific to uh, say that that brand or that advertiser, or are we also pulling in like third-party data sets as part of the matrix? Or can you talk a little bit more about the data source? So it is using a lot of third-party data sources. So you can think about data you're receiving from Bright Edge, SEMrush, Google Search Console, even Google Ads. Think about the paid and organic report, but can use um, advertisers' own data if there's if there's anything strategic there or any on-site search data, as an example, that can be fed in. And I agree completely with what Casey was mentioning. The power is really in combing through all the little bits and pieces to look for those signals because all too often, the human is left with only focusing on the top, right? Sorting the list by the number of impressions or clicks or you know, some other measure of this is high volume, this is of interest. But what's lost, we've found, is thematically, and especially in some of these sort of on-the-rise type queries that are new up-and-comers about how someone's thinking, what challenges they're faced with, the purpose of their query, and looking for those refinements. So I think we'll probably get into a couple examples here in a minute, but I think that's that's the real power of the tool. Got it. So it sounds like not only understanding like the underlying context, but more as like a, a trend spotting tool, even on top of that capability. Yeah. Every, so, social has always had social listening. And this to me is the equivalent of our own search listening. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I definitely am interested in any sort of example so that, you know, we and our listeners can really understand how this would play out in real life. So for say a given client, could you walk us through kind of what that experience might look like in action using the tool? Yeah. So something that um, we've really been leveraging the tool for is bringing broader context and really putting a face to the user behind the search bar, right? So we we have this landscape and we know we have to talk to Google and make sure that everything that we're doing is in line with Google. But at the end of the day, Google wants to serve what's best for the user. So we really need to figure out what that user wants and holistically who that user is because just just any good strategist knows, any good marketer knows that you have your target audience that is most likely to convert and then you have your audience that isn't really going to convert, just going to land on your site and maybe look around. So the secret sauce really does come in in finding that overlap, right? us search experts, all we want is qualified traffic. But what does that qualified traffic look like? And how can we overlay that qualified traffic with our known target audiences, with that demographic data, with that behavioral data that we know is really going to be impactful in the long-term relationship or customer lifetime value if we're able to, you know, get some loyalty in those specific spaces. So what we've been able to do using Matrix and our ability to really analyze these large data sets and really process that data, connect the dots, is been able to create these clusters of search audiences based on intent, based on keyword categorization and relevancy there, overall user need, to overlay those search audiences with our target audiences to really carve out that 
that um, that area of qualified traffic where we know, okay, these are high value users, whether the search volume is through the roof or not, we know that that term is tied to a user that's likely going to purchase from us. So that is inherently a more valuable term for us. So we've really been able to elevate search, not only as, you know, just driving clicks to the site, but being an outstretch of your brand strategy, of your marketing strategy, your arm, right? It's it's how you are enacting on that brand voice, enacting on that audience strategy in the online ecosystem, which especially for organic search professionals is is pretty much anonymous, right? Like it's not, it's not, it's not a one-to-one all the time. And especially with the infrastructure that goes into being able to have that one-on-one, this is just another avenue where we can really get in there, drive that qualified traffic and elevate our, our search program that much further. So maybe we can take the example of someone who's searching for running socks and they previously just purchased the running shoes. How does that play out maybe both in potential options in in SEM and SEO? Is it that we're, you know, p- targeting with ads people who have who are currently searching for the running socks and have previously already purchased running shoes or like can we walk through kind of lo- what that looks like in real life? Yeah, I would say there's two parts to it. From an organic perspective, one of the things we're most interested in is, you know, we might dig into the tool and it might sort of highlight people are interested in performance or durability or colors. And those types of things tend to then bubble to the top. Mm-hmm. It, it often ends up being in the research and learning bucket, most likely. But we have other themes, of course, like if somebody's looking to find them near them today or go pick them up or contactless delivery. So that concept of, you know, thematic purposeful intent around learn, buy, or go, buy being e-commerce transaction, of course. If we break down inside of the learn area, I think that's where we see the most potential around organic listings because often is the case, you know, heavy research, heavy differentiation, the opportunity for the brand to sort of step forward. It's also an area of like, you can't know everything. You can't write about everything. So what are we going to write about that strategically aligns with our brand and what we can say about this growing area? On the uh, on the paid side, I think it does lend itself much more, especially in, in retail, towards, towards shopping, uh, understanding the SERP, understanding, you know, also how Google is going to respond to build a SERP. You know, there's, there's one result at the end of the day. And taking the example of best running socks, is Google going to have mostly PLAs at the top? Are they going to have sort of more of a people also ask segment on the page? You know, that listing type is that's kind of grown in prominence on the Google SERP. Maybe a local map ad if it's a mobile query, or could they even have like organic popular products? And through that, we're not only understanding what is the sort of intent of and purpose of this user, but also how is Google sort of serving forward a SERP? What types of listings and what is our opportunity? You know, is video mm-hmm. going to be much higher than our traditional organic blue link? And do we then need to sort of favor trying to win that auction with a different type of content? So for best mm-hmm. running socks, 
maybe we see video is winning, beating out the traditional blue link. And we should work with the brand to develop a video that's going to rank well to own that placement on Google. And so that could be one of the outcomes in that example based on our, our research. Or if shopping isn't showing up as much there, right, then we're going to sort of deprioritize our focus on ads and really hone in our focus around the right type of content. To Got it. That's a really interesting angle of incorporating how the, how the search engines are actually like displaying this information. That makes it very clear. Thank you. Something that Matt is is hitting on is kind of the the next evolution of search, which we know is where we're rap- rapidly barreling towards and trying to figure out the best pieces of information to really inform those strategies we can activate on because we know it's not a, a, a channel market anymore. It's not paid versus organic versus shopping. It's it's really total search. So this whole notion of redefining position one and, and what does position one actually mean in the competitive landscape that, that we're in? Does it mean paid? What type of paid ad? Does it mean organic? What type of organic? Does it mean a blue link? Does it mean people also ask? Does it does it mean some other sort of, of, of SERP feature? So one of the big pushes with all of our machine learning matrix, understanding user intent. A lot of these elements are are really understanding, honestly, how Google is going to respond to the user. Because at the end of the day, we want to be part of that response, right? So understanding what the user needs, what they're looking to get out of their Google search can help us really just understand the new composition that we're looking at. Right, especially when we're trying to um, play this game of an an always evolving Google. Right, there's always going to be something that changes. But if we can stay in front of the thing that's always consistent, which is the user and what they want to do and their intent when they turn to their search bar, we can get a better under- understanding of how to activate on and predict that new position one when it comes to how we implement our strategies. We like to bring it back to basics. <laughs> What's happening to the user? <laughs> Are there differences in you know how this may be implemented in the future based off of you know variety of industry factors, cookie deprecation, privacy updates, or, or any other variables? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned cookie <laughs> deprecation. It's a hot topic. Um, <laughs> But I will say one of the reasons, you know, search is the coveted channel, I'm definitely biased, but is that it carries that high intent and timing signal. Uh, That's why people love it. Hand is being raised and I'm telling you what I want. Moreover, though, person clicks on a link and they come to the site. That is immensely valuable. You're collecting and tagging that individual. It becomes a first party tag. You know, the brand can use it. So far, at least in Apple Safari language, like the Google Analytics tag is all good to go for our collection and targeting. So it's it's much different and it's much richer because of that first party context that we are able to gather for the brand, as opposed to acquiring third party lists for targeting. Like those days are gone. So I often say to you know other search marketers, we have a new responsibility. You know, search has a new responsibility to leverage this first party data in a way more so than you ever did before, you know, years ago. 
because the relative importance of that first party data has just gone up in value. As you know, third party targeting has decreased in value, the relative importance of the first party click through search is of high value. And then again, add on the fact that you have the intent and time signals at the same point. So you can see where this is going. It's incredibly important to use the search click to further the sort of customer on their decision journey. Most cases, especially for long lead time uh, or high consideration purchases uh, or needs, the first website interaction isn't going to produce the, the order. Search is a high new customer acquisition channel. And so in many cases, it becomes the customer's first interaction with the brand even though. And I think that's important to note too. So like if all these things sort of as tailwinds for search and that first party cookie in the current environment. But I think the trick is how you're going to use that search click for an individual advertiser and then have a conversation with the user somewhere else. And that's, I think, where we're going. You know, customer match has been around for a long time, many years, and I don't think it holds as much value within the search channel, meaning someone who clicks on search, then they come back to search again. Okay, that's a normal retargeting tactic, if you will. You, we can do some segmentation. It's kind of interesting, but it's requiring the person to raise their hand multiple times through the process. Better, and we think is more complex, but more fruitful, is to have that first conversation through search with a new customer and then mature that conversation through other channels, online and offline, directly. And so when we talk about matching that intent back to individual users, that's where we see a lot of power. Merkle does this, right? You have to work with an identity resolution partner to pay off these dividends and to sort of work with the client ID as well as the sort of platform ID inside Google as an example, and really continue that conversation and differentiate that conversation. So to speak to that individual personally, to suppress users who are unlikely to buy or unlikely to sort of continue. You don't want to throw good money after bad as an advertiser um, is the best way to think of it. But really double down and nurture the ones that you think are more likely to succeed. And that's where, you know, additionally, ML and AI are going to play a, a bigger role in that sort of customer segmentation decisioning. And then automated list-based targeting back into other channels driven by search. So it's complex and complicated, but you can see how powerful search is at starting that conversation. And then where and how you take it in a highly scientific way is really fruitful. And our experience is longer lead time, higher cost per click clients really benefit from this approach more so uh, mm -hmm. because... You know, you may not need to over-science it in some of the other sort of like quick decision process, low CPC cases, like a little bit of more like shotgun approach seems to work okay there versus this like highly sophisticated, highly targeted and highly personalized approach. This makes a lot of sense. So as we're, we're wrapping up our episode here, Casey, Matt, what are the main takeaways you want our listeners to walk away either thinking about after this episode or looking to apply to their, their own strategies? I would say there's, there's two aspects that are, I think are most important to making search marketing work today. The first is you should be leveraging proprietary solutions and data sets to try to beat the market. Everyone needs an edge, especially as more automation comes into the fold inside of the search channel. 
So you've got to beat the competition by having some insight, some information, some data, some processes that help you beat the market. And the second is you do have to embrace that automation. You cannot you know, hide from it. Um, Google is writing the rules. Microsoft is writing the rules. And they're telling you, the train's left the station. This is the direction we're going. Jump on the train, get on board. But it is effective. It's working. These platforms know a lot about the individual, and you can tap into that inside their own wall. That's a good thing. It provides better context, as I led with, on those user A and user B searching for you know best running socks. Since we know more, let's have a better experience. The performance is there, but importantly, you, the advertiser, have to provide rich and clean business data to those platforms. Their tools are only as good as the inputs to the success metrics, to the value that you're getting as a business from those clicks, from those individual click instances. And then the program feeds itself. You know, it uses those signals and those positive affirmations and get very granular with them. Take the time to get your measurement right to make the automation work. Yeah. And I would just add for the organic professional in the room that's that's listening, you know, understand how your data ties in. You know, we can draw a lot from these strategies, but we can also provide a lot, especially with the data that we have at our fingertips. If you don't have the means to process it all, that's where the automation and machine learning comes in. The more data you have, the better your machine learning gets, right? Because it feeds off it feeds off the data. The more data, the better. Um, so don't be afraid to dive in, get your hands dirty, like Matt said, and understand where those areas of crossover are, because then you can take your organic search capability to the next level. Wise words, Casey and Matt, wise words. Both of you, thank you so, so much for joining us today um, and sharing the innovative work that you're doing around solving for the, well, at least digital age-old problem of, of user intent. But truly, thank you so much. Thank you. Been fun. Thank you. This brings us to the end of our episode of Digital Marketing Musings. If you have an idea for a future episode, we would love to hear it. Just drop us a note at digitalmarketingmusings at merkelink.com. And of course, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and rate and review our show. It helps others find us. And we're always appreciative uh, if you tell a friend. This episode was produced by Merkel with sound and video editing by Craig Zagurski. Our team includes copywriting by Annika Schliesman, graphic design by Garrett Rubel, website support by Bella Paul and Emily Chu, and social media and promotion by Gina Astrop, Lily Williams, and Andrea Ratner. Tune in next time. And until then, I'm Andrew McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye.